Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. On the Barroom Network, I'm Salim Sitterwala, and as always, I'm joined by Edward Trill Jr. Ed, how are you doing this fine Saturday evening? Or Sunday evening? Sunday. Saturday, yeah, yeah, Sunday. Saturday. Uh-huh. No, no, I'm, I'm doing really well. Um, we were just talking about uh, the Bears and the Bulls-Raptors game that uh, just ended with the Raptors uh, getting a nine-point win over the Bulls with how Zach Levine playing. But um, overall, no, I've been really good, man. Uh, it's been some pretty entertaining Bulls basketball this week, some ups, a little bit of downs, but uh, I, I can't really complain. How about you? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, yeah, I, I was watching like three quarters of that. I was going to say a little, little short of three quarters of that uh, Bulls-Raptors game, man. That Raptors team, man, even without Siakam, they're just – they're a nightmare matchup. They just have a bunch of 6 9 long arm, long leg, yeah. athletic dudes that this are like, yeah, I said like they're, you know, they go, there's so many positions and, and Scotty Barnes is just continuing to get better. You, you and I were actually talking about it. Like, like beside, like he's just, he's got a science down as far as this drafting he does. Cause you look at all these guys, like he finds like even like uh Coloco, mm-hmm. he's a second round pick. Like, yeah, this actually insane scouting and this development and just, you know, and and I think we've had we've had conversations in the past about AK is essentially AK and Mark Eversley and obviously Mark Eversley uh, spent time with Masai in Toronto, but he he's ba- they basically made making what what uh, they're doing up there in Toronto. Yeah, this is this is where the league is going. It's a, it's a lot of six, seven, six, eight six nine guys who were interchangeable between positions and Toronto has been really good at scouting these guys and just finding them wherever they can find them second round undrafted just getting them through trade um even in Orlando I mean you look at what Orlando has been doing with their starting lineup they're starting what like four guys who are like six nine or taller right now with uh with Wagner Pancaro Wendell Bowl like it's it's really remarkable what's going on in the league right now and the bulls definitely are hopefully they can get there at some point as they continue to draft some of these guys but yeah um props to toronto i mean they came out without siakam and um of course the bulls didn't have zach levine as well but they came out and uh got a really good w tonight yeah no no doubt toronto tough matchup for sure, for anyone. And um, obviously, Bulls were without Zach, like you mentioned, uh, but obviously, they were without Siakam. Mm. So, kind of almost, I mean, the Bulls also missing Drummond. Drummond, who, yeah. 
they they surely are missing him because of the rebounding aspect. Uh, the Bulls last season we've talked about so much. They lacked uh, rebounding with Booch off the floor. But yeah, um, in general, a lot to get into as far as the various uh, you know things about the team as a whole. And one thing I always like to do on in our episodes, like one of my favorite episodes, is try to get out of our Bulls bubble comfort zone and bring out an outside perspective. Um, and one of the best people and on NBA Twitter, one of the best NBA analysts out there right now, uh, a great basketball uh, basketball mind. He covers the NBA for SB Nation. Uh, I call him the Young Goat. His name is Matt Issa. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? How are you guys doing, man? It's uh, it's really cool to to be on a podcast. I feel like I haven't talked on a podcast in a little while. You know, I just do a lot of writing, so it's very uh solitary not too much uh back and forth exchange just you know me pressing buttons wondering <laughs> if the words i'm writing make sense but yeah i'm, I'm happy this is one of my we were just talking about it love one of my favorite teams you know as a, an analyst you try really hard especially when you're coming at large to remove fandom from things but like it's really hard not to just appreciate this team um right. they're fun just the vibes chicago who doesn't love chicago Man, no, I, you know, I, I love that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I love no, that. Yeah, that's a great, that's a, you know, and to get let, let's go off of that right away because a lot of the off season there was a lot of negative uh general discourse around the Bulls and granted like they didn't have a really strong off season in the sense that potentially compared to the other teams that are in the east they didn't maybe make as strong off season moves. Um, they mostly added depth or only really added depth with guys like Drummond and Drogic. And and a guy like Drogic has been over expectations um, as far as what he's provided so far this season. I think Drummond's giving us exactly what we – I think a lot of Bulls fans thought he would give us. But like I said, yeah, not not major moves, but the, the general discourse still was like all anyone was talking about is like worst-case scenarios for the Bulls. You know, every team has, you know, various scenarios that could play out. There's the positive scenarios that could happen, and then you see the development and the team taking a step forward, and then people talk about the, the worst-case scenarios. But I just felt like, and a lot of Bulls fans felt like, like everyone, all the NBA analysts, and nationally uh, just kept talking about the Bulls as if, like, you know, there's, <laughs> there's no positive notes to look at. Everything is bad. And this team is just going to barely be the plan. And, and that's that. Uh, what were your thoughts about that? Like when you saw a lot of that discourse happening, uh, how, what were you taking away from it? Yeah. And um, so I'm sure both of you, like, you know, we both, all three of us, we love the NBA. We follow it a lot more than the layman. And so in our, like outside of NBA Twitter friend groups, we're like the guy that our friends go to with like the random basketball questions like you know you become like this um just never-ending take machine and so you know i was just telling us before the show my buddy um shout out to him he just started uh his schooling at midwestern university he was right outside of chicago so he's moving to chicago and he becomes a bulls fan he's like so matt like what do i expect this season like he's he's like a pretty big nba fan but you know of course he doesn't work in the league around covering the league or whatever so he, he likes to ask me about these things right and i was just like like my thing is and then i named eight teams i'm like can you say and i might i might as well name them like milwaukee boston and nowhere milwaukee boston toronto philly atlanta uh 
I'm blanking here. Somebody's gonna have to help me. Elena, uh damn. Uh, what Charlotte. Are Charlotte, no, not Charlotte. No, I wouldn't say Charlotte's in that bubble. I'm trying to think. Where was I? So oh, I'm at six like here. Philly, Miami, um, New York, Miami. There we go. Miami seven, Miami. and then the eighth was um, somebody was in the playoffs. But regardless, there was eight. I'm pretty sure I had eight. Oh, you know what? Cleveland. This is gonna kill me. This is a bad podcast. <laughs> Cleveland. There we go. It's Cleveland. Cleveland. It's Cleveland. Favorite. How could I forget Cleveland? Because Cleveland's like <laughs> probably better than all of them right now. Right, but, right. Um, so I had those. Eight, I listed those eight teams for. I'm like. Not saying that there's no way Chicago would finish above them in the standings, right? But, like, can you definitively say with confidence that Chicago is better than one of those eight teams? And at the time, it was hard to argue yes. And that was really where I was with the Bulls offseason. So now, in terms of the moves, like you said, they added added a lot of what I'll call, like, relief pitchers, you know, when you get into a playoff series. Like, I think the Clippers – um, two seasons ago, their postseason is like the perfect example of this, where in the first round, their you know, certain bench guys are a little bit more meaningful. They rely more on like a Pat Beverly or like their guards. And so like let's look at Pat Beverly. He's the perfect example on the Clippers team, right? First round, he's very useful. His nasty point of attack defense, how aggressive he can get at times. Second round, he kind of becomes unplayable because Donovan Mitchell's just too fast for this guy. Third round, you know, in Phoenix, he does a really good job at matching Devin Booker's kind of footwork and all that stuff, getting in his face, annoying him, making it hard for a spot. So the reason I bring up Patrick Beverly, I, I think of him as like, a relief pitcher, not saying you can't be like a starter. He is a starter on NBA team right now, but like that's the bulls added. They added these guys where in certain matchups in a playoff series, they could be pretty useful And Andre Drummond, Gordon Dragic. And I think they have a lot of those guys. They have like, I love um, Derek Jones jr. I think he's, he's, he offers a lot of versatility. Uh, I love, you know, I love Desumo. right now. I'd still say he's like more in that relief guy role where he's not, I call you a relief pitcher if it's like you're not guaranteed to play like 30, 35 minutes every postseason series. Like I feel like there's certain matchups at this point where Io is like, you probably don't want to play him as much. I don't know if you guys agree with me there. I know Chicago people love Io. Probably shouldn't have named him first out of all the players. But uh but you guys get my point. Yeah, no, Chicago no, has like a bunch of guys other. on the bench. Like Javante Green, I think he's another good example. Mm. So that's what the, my first thought of their postseason is basically like they added a bunch of relief guys. So they have like a lot of different ways they can go. But I want to get into the one problem with that. Once once I live, give you guys some time to get into your thoughts. No, yeah. Well, the IO thing. So, yeah, last season obviously doesn't have a lot of playoff experience. Mm-hmm. And he kind of showed like like the playoffs is a different animal. He just wasn't ready to be the same player that he was throughout the regular season into the playoffs. And for sure, I think a guy like Io, who's taking a step forward in his game and his development, he does have to show that he can do it throughout a long season, mm-hmm. which I think he can, uh, not to say that he can't, but obviously you I have agree. to prove it. You have to prove it. And then you have to prove it again in the playoffs as well, that you can't perform uh, the same way. And, when those big minutes are count. So yeah, no, no doubt about that. Before anyone that's listening jumps on you about uh, disrespecting the son of Chicago. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> that, I, I, I used fair, like the wrong fair. example, but you guys get the point. No, like, no, I know. get, no, I get what you mean. I hundred percent. Yeah. I think you're, they, it's about, no, no, I, I was just saying, I, I think you're right though. And I think this all season for bulls fans is really just a, it's a continuation of so many issues that they've had in the past. 
because the team has always had these moments where it, it feels like they're close to something, like they're close to contention or maybe they're close to mm-hmm. having this ideal lineup. And then it feels like they cheapen out. Like I, I can think of so many times, like you, you think back to um, in, was it 06, 07, when we, we had Dan, Gordon, Heinrich, Noach, all those guys, and we needed that 20 and 10 big man. And, you know, it, Pal Gasol was the guy that every, every, everyone wanted. And they didn't want to pay the luxury tax to execute that trade. You think of uh, like 2011, 12, I think it was when they needed that shooting guard and all they could get was Rip Hamilton. And there's so many different moments where it just feels like they come close to having this ideal outcome and they cheapen out or they just get something that is not as desirable. And I I think this, this off season kind of was just a reminder of that in the sense that, you know, Drodish and Drummond, they aren't bad players by any means, but it's just, I, I think people had, other outcomes in mind, like significant additions in mind that could make the team better, even though Drogic and Drummond to this point have been really solid. But I think that's where it stems from. Yeah. And like, you know, from obviously before, you know, when you cover the league at large, you can't get the minutia of all 30 teams. Like I watch, I watch a good bit of bowls. Um, I've been watching some to, you know, to talk to you guys in an educated way, but like, I do also rely on you guys. I rely on the other Chicago bulls analysts to kind of give me the extra context. And like, from what I understand, you guys are like, um, you guys are kind of upset with ownerships. Uh, uh, we're going to call it like frugality. That's, that's the ongoing relationship in Chicago with, Mm -hmm. with the Ryan surfs. That's like a history historically before, like, you know, before even you were born, Matt, like this team, has been, <laughs> before, before even that, this team has always been up one way or another, find a way to uh, be cheap. Like you, you watched the last dance, right? You yeah. know, the infamous oh, yeah. line by, by Ray, Jerry Riser saying he was going to regret playing, paying Michael fucking Jordan <laughs> that large contract. The greatest, the, who many consider the greatest player ever, he said that about that game. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get the idea, like, throughout the history, Ryan Zoff has always kind of put a blockade on on spending and how to really – how any GM can really maximize uh, the team without going over that, you know, especially the luxury tax era, going over the luxury tax. So they always have to, like, find ways around it. But now, they always say – if this is a contender, we'll pay for the contender, but it doesn't work that way, right? It, you have to pay to get there. You can't just be like, well, once we're there, we'll pay. It, that's hard to come by, not unless you are gifted with a, a you know, generational talent. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like right now the most recent example you guys are alluding to, and correct me if I'm wrong, you guys are probably a little bit upset about the Jeremy Grant thing. Not so. No, I. I, So, I. I I mean, I'm not gonna lie. When we were talking about upgrading power forward last offseason, Jeremy Mm -hmm. Grant would have been really nice, right? And he he would look really good in the starting lineup. And there are times where I'm like, hmm, I wonder what would happen if we had traded Patrick Williams for Jeremy Grant. But um, I, I don't really fault them for that. I think it's really just just going back to this offseason where they had resources to improve the team and they chose not to use those resources 
because of the luxury tax. Mm-hmm. Like we talk about, what was it? The traded player exception, I think, that they let expire. Uh, they yeah. didn't use the full mid-level exception as well. So like, it, it's those type of things. It's trading Kyle Korver to save, uh, what was it? Like, to, five million. Like five, it was actually like, a couple of million. Yeah, like a tax. couple of million when they were trying to compete. Trading a good player who then went on to help another team compete and get to an Eastern Conference. It's things like that where you're just yeah. kind of like, what what are you doing <laughs> right and i mean the the jeremy grant thing is is it's just like a certainly there's some bulls fans that bought up jeremy grant as a player that bulls should target but it was it was also tough to trade for him just simply because the bulls didn't really have matching contracts unless you're going to give up a player that's a, a big part of your rotation um that was the issue and obviously there was also like not training patrick williams now that's more of a, a front office thing where uh, guys like Arturis and uh, Mark Eversley, they just are so high on Pat that they don't want to, you know, they don't want to give him up um, in a trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it, it just kind of, like it said, like, like Edward said, it's, it comes down to when the bulls had the opportunities to use their full, full mid-level exception this season for this off season to go and ad- really address either rim protection or shooting um, you know, they, they didn't do either of those. They they went out and obviously the, the cheap route because, again, they, they had that, um, they had that, you know, those handcuffs placed on them saying, okay, you cannot go over the luxury tax. Mm-hmm. Um, and when when you're trying to maximize the talent, especially when you have, a, you've built a roster to win now in a sense and you've, you've made it, you've allowed your, GM to and an executive uh, VP to make aggressive moves in a win now situation where you've traded away traded away multiple draft picks. All of a sudden, <laughs> to say no, we're just going to get conservative. You can't pay the tax. We're not going to let you do these moves to really improve the team. It, it kind of puts a bad taste in, in people's mouths, and it just kind of becomes deep frustrating off of off of that in that regard as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can understand that. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm kind of the camp where it's like you like these billionaires who usually, you know, on these teams, they already have amassed like a great deal of wealth. So like if you're going to, I don't know, if I had money like that, um, I would, and I wanted to own a team, like it would just be like, I'm of the camp where like, I'm going to do whatever, like, okay, whatever you think of Mark Cuban, like the character, like he, he's, I feel like he's done and I guess this is funny because like he did let Jalen Brown, uh, Jalen Brunson walk and Steve Nash walk, but he's done a lot to make sure that like the Mavericks have like the resources they need in the past. Like if you listen to former players talk about like just the amenities that he would kind of provide for the team, how much he's upgraded facilities and stuff. And it's just like, you know, forget like who he is, the person, all that stuff. But like in terms of, you know, just doing whatever it takes to win and wanting to win and being enthusiastic about winning. I feel like that's how every owner should be. Right. Um, like a Steve yeah. Ballmer is a good example. Of, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, just having a bunch of, he's obviously a billionaire, but you know, so is Cuban, but, and so are Reindorf. Every, pretty much every NBA yeah. owner is a billionaire oh, yeah. because the value of the franchise are worth generally over a billion, unless you're getting very low and uh, in the market area. But, um, but yeah, like, it's, that should be your mindset, but obviously these the, the Reinsdorfs are always thinking about you know year to year revenue and maximizing the year to year revenue 
uh, net revenue you know, threshold. Um, and that's, that's what generally usually comes down to for them. It feels like, like not that they don't want to win. It's not the number one priority. It's, it's like profits and then winning is too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that sucks. It, yeah. It, and it's so it's, um, it's interesting because even with this mindset, the bulls still bump their heads into like, really genius moves like like you think of a guy just going to a store and trying to be as cheap as possible and just finding an amazing deal like over and over again like sometimes the bulls just have a knack for finding these like really cheap like solid additions sometimes like you think back to what nate robinson meant to the bulls mm-hmm. however many years ago like they they really kind of stumbled into that like even marco bellinelli was something that they stumbled into um there's a there's a long list of cheap additions, and I, I think Goran Dragic and Andre Drummond are kind of the next in that uh, in that timeline where, again, like fans did not hate these moves, but it's underwhelming considering their general expectations. But you look at what they've done so far this season. Dragic has been fantastic for the Bulls like he he looks like he does not look washed at all like he, he's playing solid minutes he's scoring the ball he can shoot a little bit giving a solid veteran presence Andre Drummond is the backup that we really needed last season and he's been rebounding the ball like crazy giving us that athletic protection like that athletic presence at the rim so it, it seems like they've knocked both of these signings out of a part like are are you surprised by what they've looked like so far this season? I mean, it's still early, but like these mm-hmm. are these are the type of beneficial moves that sometimes the Bulls just kind of stumble into when they are being a little uh, cheap, you know? <laughs> yeah. So you're saying, am I surprised about Drummond and Dragic or the team as a whole? Oh, just just Drummond and Dragic and what they brought to okay. the team. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, I hate to be that guy with the Dragic thing. But I just have a hard time believing the three-point percentage is going to continue. Sure. I know he's been he's been uh, he's been raking them up, and he's never he's he's always been like a solid three-point shooter, but never never that caliber. But he, yeah, he's like a nice guy, kind of energizes your bunny. Throw him in there for like little spurts, contained spurts where he can really juice your offense up, um, and keep things afloat. I know they like to have. When Levine's playing, they like to have either Levine or DeRozan out on the floor. So it's nice to have Dragic also on there on the floor. And then with Drummond, Drummond's kind of like DeRozan in the sense that, um, you know, people like overcorrected for them a little bit too much. They like uh, they were so overrated by like people like the general public, and then like you know, we learn more about how basketball works and efficiency and all that stuff, and then we're like, wait. Andre Drummond and DeRozan aren't like as great as we thought we were. They were, and then we we brought them both like so down. We're to a point where we like overcorrected and we made them underrated. That's what happened with DeRozan, you know. And I think that's happening with Drummond now, where it's like, yeah, a guy, you know, the the league's best defender is probably not the guy who averages the most rebounds per game, but he um he is like he has a lot of utility. He's got like really strong hands. He's just like a strong body. Um, he's probably the only guy on the team who could really play like a drop coverage act as like a drop big. Um, I don't think, you know, that's really where Vucha thrives, but, um, 
So he gives them like some scheme versatility in that regard where they can go with Vooch at the level or hedging or, you know, trapping or whatever, or then they can go with Drummond dropping, kind of staying closer to the paint. And then when they really want to, they can have like Pat Williams and Derek Jones out there and they go like small ball and they can switch everything. So yeah, I think that they both um, are useful. Like I said, they're kind of relief guys where when you're thinking about the playoffs, like one of them might be um, a little bit more valuable than you would think. And they just come in handy. And if they like end up, you know, winning a series or two, you know, it's good to have a bunch of different tools in your toolbox. But again, like, and this is going to come back later when we talk about the pros and cons, but this team has a lot of guys, but they also don't have a lot of two-way guys, like playoff two-way guys. Not like, I think there's a difference between regular season two-way guys and playoff two-way guys. And we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, I, I think you make a good point that they, they they have to be very, very um like asymmetric in a sense as a team defensively. Mm-hmm. Like they can't they have to rely on each other. You have to communicate. Um and that's why a guy like AC is so Oh, I love him. Um as a vocal yeah, as a vocal leader out there, like you see him getting on guys. Um he you see him yelling at DeRozan when he does not rotate over on the weak side or just makes a mistake. You see him getting on guys. Um, I know Pat, we're, we're high on as far as trying to get become that weak side defender, the, the backside and weak side defender as well. Um, Io is obviously a guy's a two-way guy, one of the, one of the few two-way guys on this team, but no, you're, you're spot on as far as not having enough two-way guys. And I'll say to Zach, I think his defense has kind of gotten how bad it is. has gotten like overly criticized at this point. Not to say he's a good defender, mm-hmm. but I think he's a lot more engaged now than he ever used to be. Um, I would probably put him closer to a below average defender now, um, especially um, so like his on ball defense is is good. I think for the most like you rarely see him really get beat on ball, and then his off ball is mostly like there's times he gets caught, caught ball watching, mm-hmm. um, like but for the most part he's done a better job of of like you know. Um, stunting and helping out and getting rotating and moving his feet and trying to make sure he's in the right spot uh, off ball as well. So no, you're you're spot on when you when you mention like not having enough two way guys. Yeah, and I I think the one thing that makes that difficult is because of how this team is built around three guys who are really not strong defenders individually. So now you kind of you're you're kind of at a like disadvantage trying to like compensate around that afterwards. Like you look at a team like Boston and um, Jalen Brown and Tatum, like you can play those guys interchangeably anywhere. Like Boston can really switch like pretty much everything. Like all of their best players are at least competent defensively. And that, that helps a lot. So that's just the one thing I think that like, if we're talking about the playoff two-way guys, I, I think that's the one thing that makes it really harder for this Bulls team is because of how this team is built. Right, 100%. And speaking of obviously two-way guys, we've, we've talked a little bit about Pat Williams' development and, you know, it, a lot of young players developing. Not everyone develops the same. Not every player is the same as far as 
you know, when they come into the league, a lot of times people will, will take Pat Williams as, you know, look at Scotty Barnes, you know, and Scotty is doing all these things. Why can't Pat do all those things as well? And, you know, that that's where things get lost in the conversation is um, every every player develops differently and every player has a different, you know, skill set and things that they're used to doing as far as what, what they provide and what they can do on the court. Um, and playing with guys like Zach and, and DeMar, Pat has to learn how to be an off-ball player better, like learning to, like, you know, cut to the basket, learning to play within, like, in a, in a pick-and-roll environment where you can come and set screens for Zach and DeMar and then, you know, roll to the basket where he can, you know, one of them can cut, get him as a cutter. Um, things like that. So it's like a process to learn those things. What have you seen from Pat Williams so far, like that, you know, encourages you and maybe there's some things that maybe just like things that concern you as well, like as far as the overall uh, product that he is so far. Well, okay. So again, I don't watch him as much as you guys. So maybe the fantasization is like, it's over for you guys, but it's kind of, it's kind of hard not to see like his big frame, those giant claws. And then you see him hit like a midi pull up and pick and roll and think to yourself like, wait, could he be Kawhi Leonard someday? You know, like, it's like, you you know, it's just like, you think to yourself for a second, like, no, no, you know, Kawhi's Kawhi. He's a special, special player. It's hard to, don't put that on Pat's plate. I think it's funny, like the Scotty thing, because like I know Eastern Conference, similar age. I think Scotty's just a different it's type cool. of Scotty's a lot right. like no, yeah, yeah, different. It's like Scotty's a lot more flexible than Pat. You know, Pat's more right. of like a, a stiffer guy. That's not a bad thing. It's just it's a little more flexible than him. He's gonna be able to do different stuff. I don't think that's that's um that's really like that. I mean, I feel like it doesn't take that long to kind of identify that part. So I don't understand. I'm not, I'm not like the kind of like guys like trying to compare people's developments and stuff like that. I'm not really into that. I know that Pat, from what I've seen so far this year, had a tough start in these last couple of games. He's really up the aggression and I'm liking that. And a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about with like the, like who are your two way guys that you can trust in the playoffs not to get picked on. I think a lot of it hinges on, um, I think three things really. And one of it's, can Pat Williams be like a, I don't know, like an above average starter by postseason time? You know, can he be that guy by then? And I mean, another thing is, I know you guys have, you want to talk about him as IO. I have, I have a question about IO. And then the last thing, this is the thing that like eats at me every day. And I think about him all the time, hoping he, I could just see him play basketball again is Lonzo Ball. Cause yeah. I feel like that team's like the whole, like everything. Cause uh, can I go? Can I just like make like a little? Can I deviate for like a second? Go, go Lonzo ahead. Ball. Go ahead. Okay. Well, like so, I was listening to um, you know, Ben Taylor, thinking basketball guy. He does the sub All Star pod, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, like last season, DeRozan, Levine, All Stars, right? Pretty, pretty firmly. I think they played like All Stars. They deserve the nod, right? In his sub All Stars, so we're talking about guys he thought were top fifty. He had those two. He had Caruso, our guy. He had Lonzo Ball. And then on the outside looking in, so you could say he's like a top 60 guy, he had Vooch. That's five. Five top 60 guys, okay? You know, like, that's like the Phoenix Suns last year arguably had five top 75 guys, right? If you think about Paul, Booker, Aiton, 
uh, Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges. I would say top 75 guys. So you have five top 60 guys. And then you have like, you have Pat Williams and it's like, that that hurts me. That one hurts me. Um, but I just wanted to, I, I wanted to express that with you guys. But uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we, that's we, pretty. Lonzo, Lonzo is you know you know the, the sub also like you know a high high level level role player like mm-hmm. a guy that almost impacts the game at an all star level. He's a two way playoff um, guy. He's a guy like in the playoffs. Yeah, I can exactly. trust him on both sides of the ball. Everything, everything the Bulls want to do and are lacking, he provides. Like mm-hmm. the 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 playing with pace, he's probably one of the best full court, you know, guards and the wings in this league. Uh, defensively, like his on ball as a point of attack defense. Defensively, he's improved that, and then as a roamer defensively too, he's he's so good. Like that's what the Bulls want to do. They be disruptive and and you know be able to get out on the break defensively and and Lonzo with Caruso, they just are just absolute like um, you know, I, I always compare them to the uh, Mighty Ducks. You know, you, you ever watched the Mighty Ducks, Matt? Like the, oh, the I haven't Bash seen Brothers? it. I haven't seen it. I know that it's like okay. getting back in vogue because of the, oh, right, right. the well, miniseries it's a, it's a on Disney. These movies. Yeah. But so the Bash Brothers, let me explain to you, are these two like like a hockey it's a hockey movie, so but there's these two like uh, these tough like bully goon type players. That's what they are, and they just mm-hmm. like defensively. They just check guys against the board. They just like mess everything up for the other team's offense. Mm-hmm. And that's what Lonzo, when Lonzo and Cruz are playing together, that's what they are for for the Bulls defense. They're the Bash Brothers. No, and um, no, yeah. I'm convinced. So you, I'm convinced. I'm sorry to cut you off here, but I'm convinced no, that that 20 games of Caruso and Ball in their like point of attack, just thievery. Like it brought point of attack defense back into vogue. Like oh NBA Twitter God. was like out on point of attack defense. They're like, oh, it's just rim protection and off ball and defensive playmaking. No, Caruso and Alonzo uh, Ball, like, you can have a top 10 defense just by having like two guys who will not let the ball get like behind them. You know what no, I mean? Like the ball exactly. will stay in front of him. Exactly. And, and like I said, to go on about Alonzo, like again, and then shooting. He is one of the best, you know, spot up shooters in the league. Like a high volume guy that shoots over forty percent. That's and again, that's what the Bulls lack shooting too. So, yeah, it's just we're hoping that you know he can overcome this knee injury really, and and he can come back and be the guy that he was. You know, luckily he he's not a player that plays above the rim. Um, he he doesn't rely on on athleticism a lot to really do what he does. Like. And in the grand scheme of things, when you consider like you know a lot of the more athletic parts that have you know come into this league, um, but we'll see. We're we're all crossing our fingers here and hoping that what when he if he comes back this season and he, and we we have a good feeling that he will. At least that's how the Bulls feel that he will, um, and that he can he can go back to at some point being that. Yeah, can I ask really quickly? Um, not to jump ahead here, but this is like one of the things I had in my notes. And like I'm I'm well aware that there's a significant difference at this moment between the two players. But how far is Io from being Lonzo Ball? Because I feel like he's like a similar type of player. I would give him like I don't know if he like, wants to miss it to you guys. I think I think Lonzo is better at running the show. I think like Lonzo has those uh point guard skills. 
if you go back to like his college days, like he has that ability to kind of like run an offense and kind of set some guys up, I think. And I think he's just a little bit more polished as a uh, as a shooter as well. Um, I, I think Io can get to that point, even though there'll be different players. But I think that Io could get to a point where he has a similar impact. But I, I just think that that ability for Lonzo to still be able to set some guys up like in transition on the break and being able to play that point guard role. I think that is a, a pretty noticeable difference that we saw earlier last season because Lonzo could get a board and he could like lead the break and he could set guys up. He can throw those lobs like he could, you know, we, we don't want him as a primary creator, but like just doing it in pockets, I think worked a little bit. Yeah, so to me, like, the the three key areas that Lonzo is just better at, um, defensively overall, like, I was a good defender. Mm-hmm. No, no, not saying he is a bad defender, but I think the impact, the, the nuance and the levels that Lonzo brings, it's, it's a little higher than Io on the defensive end. Shooting-wise, I mean, Io's improved his shooting, but I still feel like when you consider high volume shooting and more reliable, like I, f- I would feel more confidence as in a healthy Lonzo being a guy that could knock on like four or five threes in a game if if given the opportunity. Um, and then yeah, like with with Edward, what he said with the open court playing in the open court, he just has one of those rare knacks of finding guys up court. Like that's that's a gift. Like that's a rare like the vision that he has. Like when he gets a ball, he immediately can see uh, up court and gets the ball quickly up court. Um, and and that's obviously a you know a rare. I don't know if it's a dying skill set in today's league, but like the, those full court passes that he makes. Um, I mean, and a lot is obviously highlight related. And I'm sure you've seen last season with with the wonderful video. Yeah, where he where he's essentially just football, baseball throws it. He he gets it quickly from from Caruso right under the other side of the ba- under the basket and quickly set up there. And that's just you know you don't see stuff like that a lot in today's mm-hmm. league um, as much as you would. Uh, there's not a lot of guys that have that ability. And I was not there yet with with his full court passing. I do think Io is a better half court point guard because just the uh, ability that Iowa can put pressure on the rim. Um, like Lonzo is not really like Lonzo to me should never shoot be, uh, be under uh, be, um, inside the arc. Like his range game is non-existent. Um, he's terrible at finishing at the rim. Um, I always say like Lonzo just shoot 10, ten threes a game. Machine Batty. Just, just uh, yeah, just shoot 10 threes a game. That's all I need you to do. I don't need you stepping inside to take that elbow jump shot because I think there was a moment last season um, he was like 0 for 26 on that elbow jump mm-hmm. shot uh, that he kept trying to do out in that mid-range area. I don't know why he kept trying to do it, but he just could not make that shot. It's like, all right, knock it off. This is not your game. Just step step behind the arc and just shoot threes. Yeah. Okay. I just, I just always wonder what you where you guys are at because like, obviously, like I think my biggest thing with IO is like. He's like shooting what right now? About like I don't have the number in front of me, but he's like at uh, last time I checked thirty nine, forty percent, yeah, forty percent from three. The volume's not there yet, but like mm-hmm. I think he's getting there for sure. And I think, you know, like I said, I I, I think getting into the conversation about Io and his progress too, 
um, a lot of times you you kind of get stuck in that situation where 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 people look at you as where you were drafted at. And I think Pat falls under that trap as well. Mm-hmm. He's the fourth overall pick. So people expect certain things out of him. And if you're not hitting that certain expectation, people want to just call you a bust right away. And if like, and obviously Pat being very young, you know, there's time. So there's time for development and that process still, still to kick in. But you look at Iowa on the other side, he's a second round pick. So a lot of times people still, maybe have that mindset in there that, okay, his, his ceiling is not that high because he was a second round pick, but I do think um, his ceiling is higher than I think what a lot of people might be anticipating. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, like my thing, like I was just talking to somebody about this the other day with uh, Jamari Smith. And I was saying like, honestly, I think like Jamari Smith's best used, like let him be a play finisher, let him finish plays, let him be a punctuator, right? right. Let like, like, cause you already have all these creators. You have these guys who can facilitate and put dents in the defense. Like, and my buddy's like, um, you know, but he was a third overall pick. Like, wouldn't you want more from your third overall pick? I'm like, honestly, dude, you don't get points for like, like get, like getting all your high leverage picks, right? You get points for drafting great players and acquiring great players. And however you do it, however you stumble upon that, like, it, like, you know, it doesn't matter as long as you draft great players that work together. Um, right. But back to the IO thing, my big thing is like, yeah, he's a 40% shooter in the regular season, but in the playoffs, when, you know, when they like the Bucks, they use that ice coverage, right. they brought two to the ball to DeRozan. And they're like, okay, who's going to beat us from three? And Levine right. was kind of beat up. He couldn't really do it. And they were putting a little bit more of Levine, but like, can IO hit those threes? That's and like that where I'm at. And I feel more confident with Lonzo because like, exactly. I don't know, like you said, the higher volume really is a good indicator. And I think he's worked so much on that shot with like taking out all the different um, outside variables in his motion that, yeah. So that's kind of my big thing with IO. And that's like, just to kind of take us back into, you mentioned, we wanted to talk about the, not to like give away the master plan for this podcast, but you guys wanted to talk about the, um, the like uh the bulls and my overall thoughts so i think that's my biggest takeaway still is like who are the guys when you know whoever it is runs ice or ices derozan ball screens sends him to the corner puts two on him who are the guys who are going to make them pay for it who are those two-way guys and then if you put out an offense with enough shooters do you have the defensive person you always have the scheme billy donovan's scheme is always going to put you in the dance like you're always going to be good you're going to be in the right spot the question is do you have the personnel to execute that i think that's my biggest question yeah. about this so, Bulls team so we, we kind of like so we kind of like lump everything together here so mm-hmm. earlier i was saying the bulls are kind of at a disadvantage because their top three players are not two-way players right Mm-hmm. So that really only leaves two other positions on the court where they can get some two-way value. Lonzo Ball is out. Hopefully, we can get him back at some point this season, and hopefully he can return to form. If he does, then that's that's one of those guys you were talking about where – It changes everything. Yeah, he, he's postseason ready. He can knock down the shots. He can increase your pace of play in the uh, open court, uh, point of attack defender. Uh, like he, he fits what you need out of that point guard spot. And w- – and, the other part is, and we've been talking about this all offseason, is really just about that four spot. And as much as we want Patrick Williams to succeed, you always have to wonder in the back of your mind, is like, like his game is not really, 
conducive to what this team needs when it matters because he's been really aggressive this week like that's been a really good plus like we've seen him put Mm -hmm. the ball on the floor more he's taking shots like he's into the offense more this week so that was something that we were all looking forward to seeing and it finally happened but we still like i still look at that four position as man it would be great if we had a two-way four who could play three four and can knock down those threes and we knew that was missing last offseason. So we were talking about, man, could we get, you know, we talked about it at the top of the show. Could we get a Jeremy Grant? Could we get a uh, a Harrison Barnes? Could we get a Kyle Kuzma? Could we get someone like that who you put them at the four of a knockdown shots at least? And maybe the def- and hopefully the defense is pretty solid, too. So, like, I, I agree with you that I, I think those are the things that we have to wonder. And that's something that they're going to have to look at approaching the trade deadline. Like, how are they going to handle the four? If Patrick Williams is still kind of up and down. Like, Javante Green has been solid this season, but, like, you, you, he's not someone that fits your definition. Like, he's you can't really trust him with those shots in the postseason, right? So Yeah, no, I don't I don't, I don't, I don't trust him. I don't think the thing yeah. is it's like, it's not about what you can do. It's what you think you can make the defense think you can do. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah. I don't think the defense will will hard to close out on Javante Green or account for him when they're you know when they're deciding what kind of ball screen coverage they want to go with. Yeah, you're right. So the Bulls really need they need Lonzo back for sure, and they need that type of guy at the four who mm-hmm. you're just like, man, I, I can't leave him open because he's gonna kill us. So, so, yeah, Edward, I'm curious, what's your mileage on? Because this is like the guy, you know, I, I'm sure we all like just are so giddy. Every time we're watching, we hear his mouth uh, just going. He's telling everybody what to do. He's like everyone's favorite player, how hard he plays and just how serious he is and all the defensive stuff. But like, what, what's your mileage on healthy ball, Caruso, DeRozan, Levine, Vooch, closing five? Like, what's the ceiling on that to you? So you're saying Caruso Ball, Levine, DeRozan, uh, Vooch. Um, I mean, I, so, I think yeah, Caruso is the hypothetical last guy. I think it's a solid lineup, but I just don't trust AC yet. Like, I, I, AC is a great player, but I think he's just kind of like really kind of like up and down as a shooter to me. Like, mm-hmm. like last season, he was what, like 33-ish percent. This season, he's shooting the ball a little bit more, but... Like he's not really a high volume shooter. So like if you're leaving him open and teams are daring you to make him take those shots and all of a sudden we're turning him into a high volume shooter and I don't know how he's going to do in that role. So oh, I, one, yeah. My one thing with Caruso where I make the exception is he plays with so much conviction. Like he is the master of the 0.5 rule. Coaches always say make a decision in 0.5 seconds when you get the ball, you either pass, dribble or shoot. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's like the king of that. And I feel like because of that, he's able to mitigate a lot of his problems as a shooter, as opposed to like a lot of these other guys we were talking about. But I don't know. That's just why that in my notes, one of the things I was, I was watching the Philly game and I just thought he was so good with the rotations and the communications in that game. He was so integral in bringing them back um, that game. And I'm just like, why doesn't, because I know that uh, DeSumo doesn't play that game. DeSumo doesn't play that night. So he ends up starting. But um, I'm just like, in my notes, I'm like, why doesn't this guy play like 30 minutes a night, you know? Yeah, so the the biggest reason he doesn't is because how hard he goes on every mm. night. He doesn't, 
He's he's jumping at every loose ball. He's taking hits to his body, and I think they've discovered that when he plays too many minutes, he starts picking up nagging injuries. Um, and last season, obviously, he had the big injury um, to the wrist, but throughout his like, he started having back issues or the various little things that had happened. So I think Billy wants to keep him in that twenty five between twenty five and thirty and less than thirty, so around like maybe twenty seven minute mark to kind of keep him fresh and not take too much damage on his body because it, especially because Caruso does end up guarding a lot of bigger guys too. He'll guard like the mm-hmm. fours um, oftentimes when the bulls go small. So like, I think that's one reason why the other reason, like to Ed's point, um, his shooting is inconsistent and like he, he is good as a quick, like a, as, as a connector and the half court, but I don't know. I don't know what the like, the reasoning is as far as this season, I've seen him try to handle the ball a little bit too much in the half court, like as an initiator. And I, I don't know if that's something Billy's telling him to do, or that's something he's doing himself. And I think that needs to be cut out, but like, yeah, uh, the biggest reason he does, is not playing over 30 minutes is because of that. It's just to kind of keep him healthy and not to get his body all banged up as the season goes on. Because like I said, he's, He's another one, like we call him the I like called him a bash brother, right? Uh, he he is. He just goes balls to the wall, and you know they don't want him hurting himself, um, putting too much too much on his body, and picking up nagging little injuries where he ends up having to miss time. He's defensive Manu Ginobili. Yeah, exactly. He, he's just he's just such a um, he's such a like a maniac out there. Mm. So like that's the biggest reason uh, that they don't want to. Uh, do that and I think like ideally so so Pat I, I like I'm I'm still I yeah, and I, I think there's I'm probably a little bit more patient too in regards to overall with him than other Bulls fans are and maybe it maybe it's to a fault that I'm a little more patient I just to me it's like learn like he he missed most of last season so you know, people always talk about like you can you can work out an off season, work on a game, however, however you want, but you're not going to actually get better unless you put that practice into action. And missing all that time that affects you. Two, he does have to learn how to play with this, this group, like learn how to play with Zach Vooch, Demar, or Zach, yeah, Zach Vooch, Demar, that that trio. Uh, you know, get a feel for playing with them and learn how he can find his spots from those guys because all those guys are high usage players. And Pat needs to figure out, okay, well, this is the spots I can, um, you know, take advantage of, especially because he's a lot more comfortable as an on-ball player right now than doing those little off-ball movement things. Um, And his shooting is a work in progress too. Like tonight he was three of six from three, which is great. Uh, defensively too, he's still like cons- getting the consistency down. Or you still see him make a few mistakes here and there, but for the most part, like I, I feel like his defense has not has been you know decent overall. I would say like he's had games where he's been bad. He's had games where he's been spot on, really good. Like the last game, I guess I would say against Boston, he had a good first half, and then the second half, I thought he played good defense, but he just made had a lot of other blunders. Like he turned the ball over. Um, I think he had uh, just a bunch of missed shots. Um, but I'd rather see that. It's about him just continuously being active. And tonight, I feel like, again, it was more so about missed shots than 
anything. Like I didn't get to finish most of the game, so I don't see. I don't know how he looked defensively to finish the game, but I, I thought like outside of like a one or two possessions where he just got kind of stuck in a bad position. Like I know there was one play I remember he like Scotty Barnes kind of just blew by him um, because I think Pat kind of overhelped, and then. He, when he was trying to get back to Scotty, Scotty just kind of, you know, put the ball on the floor and just, uh, and, and uh, reminding me of like an old, Sh- like Sean Marion, just zooming past a guy and, and, and dunk two hand dunking it in really quick. Um, so, you know, that happened as well. So, like I said, I think, I think what, what we're seeing from Pat right now, just the activity, if he keeps at it, I feel pretty confident that the bulls will be fine at the four. Um, but again, it's going to come down to me. I don't know if I'm kind of rambling on here and, and losing track of my, uh, the conversation, but I think, like I said, to me, it's going to, no, no. Yeah. To me, I think it's going to come down to again, like where Lonzo's at and maybe there's like a, another move that, um, that AK and Mark can make at the trade deadline. Obviously we're a long ways from that. And, you know, there's so many different variables. There's so many variables right now. There's just like, like Zach is not back to his normal. Self. We haven't even like, talked about that. We haven't even talked about that yet. Yeah, he, like there's so many Bulls fans. Oh, man, they piss me off so damn much. There, there's so many Bulls fans that keep bringing up this damn contract. Oh, this is our max player. It's like, dude, he's just coming off of a knee injury surgery. He needs to work his way back. Do you understand? He was rehabbing all offseason. He wasn't playing five on five. Um, a guy like Zach, like, yeah, he works. He's a hard worker. He works very hard in his game. But when you watch him, he's constantly playing five-on-five basketball all offseason long. He does, like, the, the uh, Seattle has, like, a, a Drew League equivalent. Mm-hmm. He, he does that. And then there's other pickup stuff he does all offseason. So he wasn't doing any of that. So that feel for the game is gone. And then, again, he has to trust his knee again to kind of get comfortable get that feel back when he's attacking the basket. That's going to take some time for him to get comfortable doing that. So that's the other thing. Not having a normal Zach Levine is also affecting what the Bulls are doing. And for me, when I look at those little things, like there's so many different variables that we're missing right now. It's like, I'm not that upset with where we're at right now. We're like 20, 30 games in, we'll see where we're at because I think by then Zach will be back to normal and, and I think we'll have a better grasp on what Pat's doing too, um, and then we can probably have a better assessment what this where, where this team can really finish. Mm-hmm. No, I I'm with you both, of you guys on uh, the Levine stuff. I, I actually just recently found out that this, like I said, I'm not like into the the entire like culture of, of Chicago Bulls and all the minutia, so I don't I don't hear everything. But like I was just recently you know doing some digging, and I realized like people are like generally complaining about Levine getting money and like I'm just gonna say this I'm gonna leave it at that if you guys want me to expand I can expand but <laughs> no me, Zach, Zach Levine's that. their best player he is like come on guys like the, the Zach is like like people who like go overly critical on him mm-hmm. to an absurd level like okay he's not a top 10 player fine he's not he, and he probably not he's not even a top 15 player okay I'm not gonna argue that but but the the criticism he gets is like, do you guys like do fans actually watch the NBA? Do you watch other teams? Like you look at other teams, and obviously Donovan Mitchell this season has started off really well, and he's 
he just looks like a different player on the defensive end. He looks like he's putting better effort on defensive end, and he's just been, uh, uh, you know, a monster for Cleveland. But when I look at guys like Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, Bradley Beal, um, those guys are very comparable to Zach. They're all comparable players, and you can have an argument about who's better than who and what. Uh, all each of them have a different skill that they're you know better at than the other, but. It just it just astonishing to me how Zach, who's been generally stuck with terrible teammates until last season, gets this I this like empty calorie player, this bad terrible teammate player uh, persona or personality or, or like reputation, if you will. But you know all these other guys, they're just you know they're winners. They're elite superstars. It's like. I don't know. I just I, I, that's why I question. Like, do, do these people actually watch the rest of the NBA? Are they watching it, or are they just taking ESPN hot take? You know, people just those. That's how they're getting their information. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's it just, just it's it's always perplexing to me. Yeah, Zach is a. Um, it, it's been interesting seeing how um, the the labels on Zach have changed throughout the years. Like every year, he has like a new hurdle to climb like first it was to validate the Jimmy Butler trade and he can't come back from the AC like he's never going to be the same after the ACL there he's just a dunker like you know he he's a he's a black hole puts up empty calories like he's not he's not going to be worth the 78 million dollar contract and you know I I was a doubter at for the contract as well at that point too uh, but he's not going to be worth that contract. He he can't become an all star. Like he can't become an all star again. He can't repeat that season again. Like it, it it's it, it's always something. It's like that. Uh, what's that car commercial I always see with football where it's like they said they couldn't do this. They said we couldn't do that. Then it's like it, it's always something with Zach. And now he has this two hundred million dollar contract. The first Bulls player in history to have a contract of a hundred million dollars or more, which is still uh, a really fun fact, by the way. But now he has <laughs> this hurdle to climb and then it still has the knee injury that he's been rehabbing on top of it. So it, it, it's always a, a new flaming hoop for Zach Levine to jump through. And so far in his tenure as a bull, he's been jumping through hoops and he doesn't have any flames on him. He's just been making it out clean each and every time. So I give him credit for continuing to do this over and over again. Now, I get why fans are are a little frustrated and impatient because so much of his season depends on what's going to happen with him and this knee and being able to string these games together. But like they, they really have to play the long game here. And hopefully as they continue to do that we continue to see more flashes like we did in the game against Brooklyn where he single-handedly <laughs> carried that team in the fourth quarter with 20 something like 20 points in the fourth it was on fire man he Brooklyn. yeah yeah so yeah that's what we know Zach Levine can do so um yeah it, it's just always interesting to see what new mountain he has to climb this time around like it, it, it's always going to be something because frankly i i think many fans just did not like the player coming in and they are still waiting to just be left with the bag and now that there's a 200 million dollar contract with it they're like oh yeah it's just a matter of time now <laughs> yeah i don't 
like what are your general i know you say you're a fan of zach but like what what is your general thoughts on that like when you see those when when we're telling you about those type of criticisms that he receives like what are your general thoughts of that well i'm gonna be honest like i think it's weird as hell whenever (laughs) somebody like comes at people like for making like it's like weird because like in every other profession people will like cheer you on like yeah get the bag man get the bag like i know plenty of people i have like i have plenty of people in my life who work like you know like cushy office jobs don't do much of anything and like they make a bunch of money and i'm like hell yeah man like why not like just like do nothing let's get drunk on a tuesday let's like do all that you're making great money why not but it's like with basketball like levine just got the bag and everyone's like pocket watching the guy like it's coming out of us you know like i understand you're upset because like that does take away some of your flexibility as a team moving forward fine whatever but like you got to understand like you know i i hope i think him taking a leap if he took a passing leap a playmaking leap a little bit that like vaults him like firmly for me into all nba caliber but like this guy is like one of the most versatile scorers in the like he can do everything as a scorer and it's kind of insane. and i think i think one of the things really and this is like a minor nitpick on him in his slow start to the season. I feel like he's been driving, looking for fouls. Like I see, like this guy's just like trying to get the call, and I'm like, is Levine like, oh, I I got the contract now. Maybe I get like a little bit more juice, like with free throw calling, because I feel like that might be part of the poor rim finishing. I've noticed it. I don't know if you guys have noticed that at all, or it's just like maybe I saw a weird sample size of it. I think I think the issue is he's still not really comfortable getting off the mm-hmm. ground off that off that knee i think that's i get that more. part he definitely no i think it definitely like he is trying to uh focus on getting to the line more um but that's that's been a battle for zach for for a while now because he he does get he does get a poor whistle compared to your other mm-hmm. stars um because a lot of times you look at you look at the replay of a of a of a of a play that he was driving to the basket and you see how suddenly they got raked across the arms. And it's like, dude, that's a clear foul. That should have been two free throws with Zach. What's going on? Like, and, and he, and they, those, you know, the refs don't call it. Um, and obviously, you know, maybe to, to, in, in that defense too, I'll say like, I, I probably pay attention to that more to Zach than other superstars do. And obviously other superstars I'm sure are also getting, you know, kind of jobbed, um, you know, I, I, I kind of said the other day, too, like if they call a foul every time on a, for a, a star player, because star players do get mm-hmm. fouled a lot. Like we just don't notice it because um, for one thing, like a guy like Giannis, while he does get away with elbows, he's also getting hacked a lot that they don't call because if they called it every time, he would shoot like 30 free throws a game and nobody wants that. So like at some point you got to let some stuff go. And also the speed of the game, you know, refs end up missing Mm -hmm. stuff like that too. So, but yeah, it's, he is trying to, I think he's trying to test his knee more too. I think that's the other thing. He's trying to get a little bit more comfortable and, and the only way to do that is just to kind of force the issue and, and try to get attack the basket as much as possible. Yeah. And it's, it's still funny though, because, uh, you know, even though he's still getting used to, you know, to to playing again with this with his knee issue, like he's still shooting forty two percent from three on like elite value on like seven threes a game, like 
57 percent true shooting so i mean like if, if that's as bad as it gets for zach levine like i'm i'm cool with this right now like i'm cool with this for a little right. bit more like it's you know if he was like playing like he did when he came back from uh when he first got traded to the bulls after the acl then yeah but dude is still putting up like above right. average offensive numbers right now so yeah, and and Matt, to your point, like his scorer, like he he is like a hand, one of the handful of three level elite scorers of this league, and it's on and off ball. It's on yeah, and off exactly. ball. You know what I mean? That's a, that's a, such a rare thing. Like people don't understand that that's not normal for a guy to be able to be elite on and off the ball like the way Zach is at three levels. Um, at three levels, so mm. it, that's why he's underappreciated. Like I get. The defense, I get it. He's not a good defender, and he does have those lapses. We've talked about that. And, again, he's gotten a lot better. His activity's gotten a lot better, and he's not the not the the whole back hole he was on the defensive end that he used to be. I get that. We're not going to argue that aspect, say, lie and say he's a good defender now. Um, but, like, you can't ignore what he does offensively. You just cannot. And that's what a lot of people do. They just underappreciate that. And they don't realize that what he's doing is, is not normal. It's not like a, a, just a normal feat amongst the NBA, you know, other NBA greats, other NBA stars. It is a very rare talent that he has. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that you know, the Zach conversation, the Zach thing will continue forever. I think I don't think anyone's ever gonna give him his just deal in this town. I, I I don't know. I don't know if that day will ever come. You know, maybe it'll come when he demands a trade. <laughs> maybe that's oh, no, for when, sure. No, that's for when sure. People will appreciate it. <laughs> Look, no. The, if you want, if you want to see a bull appreciated, trade into another team. <laughs> Guarantee when you, it's a different feeling watching someone eighty-two games a season and then just watching them every other game and then checking box scores and being like, man, he's playing so well. Yeah. Because you're not invested and you're not watching the games. Like it's just easier to appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. It, it is what it is. Let, you know, last, last uh, discussion point before we let you go and want to wrap on this. I think like you and I have had a lot of conversations online about, about, you know, tanking versus competing, um, and, you know, overvaluing draft picks, uh, you know, the, the championship or bus culture, like the rings culture type of thing. Um, I, I want to get, I want to get, you know, a conversation going on that because I, like there was a lot of criticism for the, what the Bulls did last off season, like trading picks for established players, uh, going all in on, like going and getting a guy like DeMar DeRozan, trading, you know, picks for Vooch. And, you know, I, you know I, I'll grant it to say, like, they, they, in hindsight, they did end up overpaying for Vooch. No, no doubt about that. You know, they probably would have been better off just doing one pick and Wendell as opposed to two picks. But, like, I want to get your thoughts on that because right now you see so many various teams out there that have, like, so many draft picks that just continue to tank. But then there's other teams that, you know, are like, let's let's try to, you know, we have certain talent on this team. Let's try to maximize and try to get into the playoffs. Like, like what are your thoughts, general thoughts on that? Because, you know, I think Edward and I are generally on the same page when it comes to that conversation. Yeah. Okay, so I want to start with this. Like, I'm like, 
you know, anyone who follows my work knows I'm, you know, data is a strong, strong part of my analysis. You know, I'm the kind of person where if I was an NFL head coach and we were past midfield and it's fourth and short, I'm going for it every right. single time. You know what I mean? Like I, I trust the data. I trust the numbers. I understand we use those not as an end all be all, but to give us a better chance of being right, to make us less wrong as Seth part now says, I say that because like, you know, the data says, and I've read, I have actually Jake Fisher's book right in front of me. I'm not going to pull it out because it's in the middle of a stack. I don't want to cause a loud noise, <laughs> but Jake Fisher's recent book built to lose. And you know, the main takeaway is you tank because it gives you more bites at the apple. Like you have mathematically a better chance of building a better team because you have more chances at obtaining a generational player. Right. And I agree with that, but I think the way like like the middle class worker in the NBA is like gone. And like reason one of the reasons why we have like a lot of parity this year is because there's really only two kind of sects of teams. There's like the teams that think there's an out like there's not every team thinks they can make the NBA finals, but there's like fifteen teams who think like if a couple things break our way, we could be in the conference finals, you know? And that's like right. that's huge. Like for like if the Bulls made the conference finals, that'd be pretty sick, right? That'd be amazing. Yeah. And then there's like another half where it's like, 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 for example, I fear with Utah, like give it like another 10, 15 games there. I think they're good. Like they're generally good. I think they're probably not like one of the best teams in the West Western conference, but I think they're a playoff team. I think they're, they're solid. I love Vando, but I think it's going to come a point where Danny's like, okay, this was cute. We sold some tickets. You guys got to go. Like you guys got to go that, that seven foot six, whatever he is guy who can dribble <laughs> in between like 13 people. at once. Yeah. Like we, he's, he's uh, available for the draft this year. So I'm sorry. You guys got to go. You're not going to do it. For, and it's like, there's like this dehumanization going on of like human beings with like this hoarding of cap and like, Man, I like, okay, so Steph No, you know, huge Chicago Bulls guy, one of like my favorite people in this industry, one of the people I idolize the most. He had a tweet and I've been trying to follow his, his philosophy where it's like, you can't, you can't hate on like the way people appreciate the NBA. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be gatekeepy. You shouldn't be gatekeepy. I really try that in my life. I try to allow as many different types of people like to to discuss the game with them to enjoy it with them because i think that's how like we wouldn't have like jobs talking about basketball the way we do if there wasn't people who appreciated it in different ways than us you know what i mean right because there's not enough nerds out there so i get so like but i say this because like the transaction the transactional fans the fans who are only thinking about these weird hypotheticals about these super teams you could draft and about the future and they're never like worried about the present enjoying the now those people piss me off like they piss me <laughs> off a lot like yeah. it's all like like i don't know like there's like um I don't know. Not like I have a lot of Thunder fan friends that I love right. and I love the team but like it's like all these picks they're like hypothesizing um, about like the different players they're going to get and all this. And it's like every team's like so, so quick to pull the trigger on like just start a tank when they have like proven young talent, like for example, like the Spurs, you know, like I think that, you know, and they're, they're, they're doing pretty good this year. And like, you know, I, I love, I love the organization. I think they've made a lot of great moves in the past, but like you have like, DeJounte Murray is the reason you tank. You you get good players like DeJounte Murray. And I know he right. his style comes with trade-offs, but like that's the reason you tank. And so like to trade young players away for just this 
endless stupid cycle of just hoarding abstract capital is like it just it feels weird because like one of the reasons why i love this game is because i love like the basketball players feel like characters and like draymond green said it before like this is like the best tv show on earth they're characters in a story and so like oh that's why i love this bulls team like i love watching them because like and i wanted to say this in the pros and cons like this bulls team does not have the personnel to be a top 10 defense but i think they're going to be a top 10 defense this year because they play like i love watching them scramble on defense because they scramble harder than almost any team in the nba when they're in rotation they're going hard billy donovan has got these guys coached up you know when they played the box like they didn't lose because they didn't execute well they executed that game plan the best it could have been executed you know what i mean it's just like they didn't have the personnel at the end of the day to deal with that exactly exactly and so like i say all this because like sometimes it's okay to just try to see what the limit like how much does the math change for the bulls like like if lonzo's good if he's right and zach's right and they have those five top 60 guys we talked about and then you have pat who's growing and then you could make them like what does that team look like and i think that's worth like staying the course I think that's worth it. I, I think it's it's worth doing that than like this again. And I know why they do it. They do it because it helps them keep their job. Because you, you know you don't like you can't get judged for something that hasn't happened yet. So if you just keep this delay tactic, delay tactic. But like I mean, that's just my rant. That's my thing with tanking. I get it mathematically. Smartest thing to do. Best way for a small market team. But Chicago's not a small market, first of all. But anyways, that's my that's my let, whole spiel on let it. Me, sorry, sorry. No, I went let me ask you hardcore. this. Oh, you're good. You. And, and maybe you said this uh, earlier when you you started, but do you think that fans today underrate uh, watching just a just a pure playoff team or a pure playoff contender? Do you yes. think fans underrate that? Because I, I I think I think back to when I when I was younger, and like you you think back to those ninety like the nineties were arguably the best era of basketball. And so many fans have vivid memories of all of these teams that didn't really win championships. You know, like you think about um, you think about Reggie's Pacers or something like that. Or you, you think about a team like those Miami Heat teams or like those Charlotte Hornets teams with like Zoe and Glenn Rice and and whatever, whatever. And fans like those teams. And now, like, as I get older, like I, I saw someone on my timeline who was like, Man, I, I really miss that Wizards team with Gilbert Arenas and Karan Butler Boy. and Anton Jameson. Right. And it's just like, man, like that that team never did anything. <laughs> but it, it's it's like th- they were a consistent playoff team. But now it seems like if you're just a playoff team to some fans, not not to everyone, but if you're just a playoff team, like it's like that's not enough. And it's like you can't just be that, and it sometimes to me it feels that way that fans now are just kind of like very dismissive of, oh, they're just a playoff team. Like th- there are some Bulls fans I think who would be like, oh, if this team makes the playoffs and they lose first round, like that's not enjoyable to me. I'd rather tank. And I I just think about that. I'm just like I don't know. I'd rather come home and watch entertaining Bulls games and watch a team win 20 games. But what do you think? Do you think fans like underrate that aspect? Okay, maybe not 20 games. Okay, 25, <laughs> 20. 27, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but um so yeah, I think they do. Uh, so like here's here's something my my greatest flex of all time. I've watched all 82 games 
of the 2015-2016 Dallas Mavericks. That's the Darren Williams, Dirk Davinsky, um, like Salah Mejri, Zaza Pachulia, <laughs> like that t- um, it was Chandler Parsons, Wes Matthews coming off the Achilles tear. He was never really the same after that. But I watched all 82 games. One reason, because like you know, Dirk Nowitzki is like my favorite player of all time. First ever basketball game I ever watched was Dirk, so I loved loved Dallas because of that. I also like Darren Williams a lot, and I was hoping he had a little bit of, of juice left in him. Fortunately, didn't really after that season. But I watched all 82 games. They weren't like I was 100% aware of the fact that this team would be lucky to win two games in a first round playoff series. You know what I mean? And so. I enjoyed it. I remember the hell out of that season. I remember weird moments. I remember the call when Dirk hits his 40th um, point at age 37. I remember the exact call. I'm not going to do it because I'm going to I'm going to butcher the call. I'm not going to say it as cool as he did, but I remember it against the Portland Trailblazers. It was a Sunday, but um. So I just like I think those things are important to why we love basketball. Like yeah, like. You know, I'm like I said, I've tried to shed a lot of my fandom. I try to look at things objectively. I know what the ceiling on this Bulls team is at this moment. I'm, I, I'd, you know, I'll share it with you guys if you like. But, like, but I still enjoy it. I enjoy watching the Bulls. They make me when I watch the Bulls. When I'm done with the games, you know, when you like work basketball, like first of all, like you know, I'm doing it while in school. But you know, I, I spend a lot of time around the game, and so like sometimes you get like desensitized to how cool the fact that you get paid to do a hobby is. But like you forget because you got shit to do. You know, I have an article due tonight. I kind of, I'm kind of dreading it. But like when I watch the Bulls, I'm like, man, this is like the sickest job ever. You know, I get to watch teams like this all the time. So like, yeah, I don't know, man. That stuff's cool. I think fans do underrate it. To answer your question, I think that the, the championship bus thing, like we don't, I don't, we just don't appreciate things enough as a society. I'm a young guy, and that's like that's my boomer take right there. It's like right. we just don't yeah. appreciate. <laughs> Right, I think anymore, it, you know? it's funny. Like it, it, fans have become GMs too much. Mm-hmm. Stop yeah. it's like that. They they think too much like GMs and not as fans. Um, and 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 it's funny. Like you mentioned, like the teams that like that weren't that great. Like some some of my most fondest Bulls memories are teams that the oh six oh seven Bulls. Yeah, though that team that just made it out of the first round, the Joakim Noah Nate Robinson Bulls, the, that that took the Nets to seven games and beat them, mm-hmm. and then lost to five to Miami in the second round. That game seven that Joakim Noah had is forever one of my best, my favorite games in Bulls history. Like I love that game. I to this day I vividly remember Joakim Noah after game six hobbling because he has plantar fasciitis and like both feet i think he's like we're not losing game seven he said we're fucking winning game seven and then he goes out there and has one of the best games ever like 21 points like like 15 rebounds and like all these blocks and the dude went out there with all heart and they won game seven that's one of my favorite memories like nate robinson scoring like 26 Mm. points in the fourth quarter in that series one of my favorite memories. So it's like, Fam, I still appreciate remember, that stuff. I, I still remember Larry using a game winner in Utah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, like, I, I love that moment. I think I YouTubed it the other day. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> right. Like, and, and, and the other thing too, like, you know, talking about you, because you brought up the Thunder and, you know, they have so many picks. I get it. Okay. Like you can do a lot with those picks. But at this point to me, it's like, look, 
Um, and maybe, I mean, the conversations were different because, you, you know, Chet did get injured. But let's say Chet was healthy. I feel like Chet, Giddy, and uh, SGA, those three are good enough young pieces to build around. Mm-hmm. Now go get, uh, like, uh, like my co-host loves to say, Ed, get adults in the room. Mm-hmm. Get good, solid veterans. Trade some of those picks for some solid veterans so they can learn to win. And that's how you can also develop them as players. And, like, I feel like they have something there. So why are you still tanking? Now, I, again, yeah, Chet is injured. But I don't think their plan would have changed if Chet was ha- healthy. I think you know, they were still you know trying to it. go into the season. They were still trying to go into the season, trying to tank and try to lose as much as possible. Obviously, SGA is just, you know, um, saying, no, I'm going to win every game here. <laughs> but – you know, like I'm saying, though, that their plan wouldn't have changed, and that frustrates me. And to to me, it's like, dude, what are you doing? You have enough young talent. You have you have a nice big three, young big three. Support that young big three now, and start putting quality players around them so they can develop, and so you can start putting a good product on the court for your fans. Mm-hmm. I I don't know, like that just frustrates me. That kind of stuff frustrates me. But yeah, that's that's my whole like point of like the whole like I get it like yeah everyone wants a championship in the end like certainly I I wish the Bulls had a generational player that they could it's so build tough, a, con- a contender and I get that but it's so hard yeah it's like, so tough you look at we've talked about Giannis Giannis was the fifteenth pick in the draft like how many teams passed on him thinking like okay well this is this raw eighteen year old kid here he's like yeah, we we see the the the, the natural God given ability, but will he actually develop? We don't know. So they've all these teams pass on him. Um, you see sometimes a guy like Andrew Wiggins who's finally figured it out, but he's also has all this God given talent. He goes number one, but he doesn't live up to that superstar mantle. Um, it's just like I said, you know. I think I like what Masai does, for example, like. He's just continuously built, gotten talent in the draft, built good teams, had like at the cusp, and then like when there's an opportunity, when the iron is hot, go get a Kawhi letter. Even if it's one season, you know, you go all in and you win a championship. That's fine too. And then he's been able to retool quickly with with, with Kawhi leaving just because he's done such a great job with drafting and player development. Yeah. So I'd rather do that than every year tank like, yeah, Toronto's not going to win a championship. They, they'll probably get into the second round, maybe, depending on how the seeding adds up. But I'd rather have that than try to continuously tank and lose and 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 just build like this ugly, you know, like losing culture. Yeah, and we just we didn't we just go through this too, like <laughs> the last three or four years before. Yeah, like it's just yeah. like. The, the amount of variables involved in all of this, it, it's just for for me as a fan in my like older years now, like I, I just don't have time. Like, I just don't I, I don't know. I just don't really care for it. Like it maybe when I was younger, I could probably get behind it more. But like as an older fan now, I'm just like I, I just see more value now. And like, man, if I'm coming home and I can turn on the TV and see my team on ESPN 
playing a game or on TNT, like coming home, watching them play the Brooklyn Nets or like, man, can I go and watch them in person and get a good game? Like to me, things like that mean more. But when you're when you're tanking, it's just like all these different variables, like the Bulls tanked and it, it was like the, the the year, the Luka year, they they won the coin flip against Sacramento, but that was actually a bad thing. If they had lost the coin flip, then they would have gotten the number two pick and then they could have drafted Luka Doncic, but apparently they wouldn't have drafted Luka Doncic uh, uh, yeah. if they had the number two pick. And then it, it's, they, they finally jump into the top four and they, uh, in, in the uh, LaMelo ball year and they miss LaMelo ball by one spot. And so you're, you're talking about the difference between LaMelo ball, who looks like, a potentially elite point guard for many years versus in I don't hate Patrick Williams, but versus Patrick Williams. So it's just the difference of one spot. So it's just like all of these different variables come into play that it's just like you go 82 games and you get all of that. Like I've said it before, but like imagine being that, that Charlotte Hornets team that won seven games that one year, seven games, and it was, they didn't get Anthony Davis. They got Michael Kidd Gilchrist. <laughs> Seven games. <laughs> and you get oh, yeah. Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Like, th- like, that's the NBA. And it's like, yeah, some some team is going to get uh, Victor this year or, or, or in 2023. But it's just like, think of all the teams that are going to be so bad watching all of this basketball that is uninteresting and just awful. And they're not going to get him. It's going to be the difference between a generational prospect and someone who, frankly, is not going to be as good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just I don't know. It's just it's just too much for me, man. For sure. Well, Matt, you know, we could go on forever for this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, as as we get wrapped up here, please let our listeners know where they can follow you, where you can they can find your work. Um, anything that you're working on, not even necessarily Bulls related, just something that you're writing that uh, to look out for, um, please let us know. Yeah, um, you can follow me on Twitter. I think that's the easiest way to get a hold of me and my stuff. It's at M-A-T-I-S-S-A-15. That's at Matisa15. Um, I write for a bunch of different sites, you know, how the freelance thing works. But I cover the league at large for websites like SB Nation, uh, basketball news, the analyst, and fan cited. So yeah, you can just find my work. It's easier. Just follow me on Twitter because I usually tweet out um, a link to any article I might write. I write a couple of weeks. You know, I watch a lot of basketball. Think about basketball way too much. I'm gonna do that right now. Right. Probably not sleep, but who cares? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're a hard worker, man. And you, I've I've followed you. I think. I can't remember if I started following you when you started doing the uh, the 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 goat podcast. Like, who's the goat? Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, that like when I found out how old you are, I was like, "This, you're in college, so this is such professionally done." Like, I was like amazed. Like, every episode was so good. Like, I I generally like if if I didn't know like if I didn't find out like you're a younger person, I I would think that this is like a production by like an ESPN or like a professional like media outlet analysis. And not to say you obviously not, not just, and, and I don't be this as a disrespect to you at all. No, it's, I, thank I, you. I appreciate it. I, I compliment that and say, man, that was so well done. Um, I would recommend anyone. I know Bulls fans 
will get upset about the Joel conversation because, you know, between LeBron and MJ, it's like people get really uh, hyped up in Chicago about the Joel conversation. But I, I definitely recommend checking that, that podcast. Uh, but yeah, man, your work speaks for itself. You're you're a really great writer. You, your eye for the game is special too, and I appreciate you joining us for sure. Uh, Ed, any final thoughts for you as we wrap up? Yeah, yeah, just piling on, man. Thank you so much uh, to Matt for joining us. This was a really great conversation. Um, definitely encourage our our listeners to check out your work. Uh, you're working really hard, man, and love following you on Twitter. So um, once again, man, this was a Really fun talking to you about uh, Bulls basketball, man. Awesome, awesome. So, yeah, that's a wrap for today's show. If you've missed any previous episodes, you can find us under the Barroom Network on all major and minor podcast platforms. Thank you again to Matt Issa for joining us and to the listeners for tuning in. As always, for Edward Schuler and myself, until next time, Bulls fans, 